Hey everyone, welcome back to the latest episode of Survive HR. My name is Kelly Scheib. For those of you guys that are first-time listeners, I'm here joined by my co-host. Steve Nail. Um, we are, so we had a plan for today. And as is typical with my life, we changed the plan. Because there's this little known virus out there that's causing a lot of noise, and we thought it was incredibly relevant to have a podcast on that topic today. Yeah, but weren't you just in California? I was, and I'm coughing. Isn't, isn't that where the, the this coronavirus is originated? I think that we need no. Well, like, not have originated. you been in, watching in the, the United news? States? I I think like, you you weren't tested when you came back. Nobody's looked at you. They haven't even take, taken my temperature. All right. Well, I'm glad we've got the experts we have here today to talk to it about. So today we are joined by Dr. Patel. Yes. From Proactive MD, um, huge supporter of Proactive yes. MD. So I'm excited that you're here. And introduce yourself for me, sir. I'm Will Jimbalvo with Arthur Gallagher and Company. Yeah, we were not going to no. try that last name. No. We weren't going to. Will. Will. Will, will as you Much, will yes. more affectionately be known as. <laughs> All right. So coronavirus, right? So as I'm not the only person talking about this, but... Well, no, everybody's talking about it. Everybody's talking about this. Dr. Patel, tell us what we need to know about this virus. That's a lot lot to know. Well, how's it different than a regular flu? The presentation is very much like the flu, and that's why there's a confusion on what the symptoms are. There's no classic symptoms. So it's really difficult to isolate just based on symptoms and signs. And, of course, there's a lot of um, noise about the test not being available to the common public. So in the U.S. itself, there's very, very limited testing at best. So um, essentially, we're basing all our diagnosis on signs and symptoms and very limited testing. There's no bedside screening test. So signs and symptoms similar to that of the flu. Very similar, yes. So really, no, if you test negative for the flu, because the flu, in my understanding, is still very prevalent. That's correct. And you can test for the flu easily. So a negative on the flu doesn't rule rule out the coronavirus? Absolutely not, no. What makes this, though, I mean, why is this, I mean, is the death rate more than the typical flu? I mean, what is it that makes this such a, a health issue right now? Definitely. So what happens is if someone did have the coronavirus, the symptoms can delay for about five to six weeks. So you could actually have the symptoms. Five to six weeks? Yes, that's new. I just... Oh there you goodness. go. That's what I'm talking about. You just got back from California. <laughs> no. Okay, five to six weeks. Keep going. Especially if you're in a contained area, closed area, and usually the spread is like your typical you know, respiratory infection. So, you you know, the precaution is really what, what we can focus on, really, at this point, is what should you do you know, to prevent from spreading or prevent from getting, right? So, hand washing... You know, if you're sneezing, coughing, you, you want to cover your mouth with your elbows. So those are the sort of the basic things that we know we should be doing. In addition, really, I think what the other thing we should look at is if people who have symptoms and fever, cough, uh, that's sort of prevalent for a few days, it's almost like self-quarantine is a big deal. You can't just say, well, nothing's going on. Let me just uh, be exposing my cohorts. Well, what, what, you know, what is... How is it spread? I mean, there's. I've heard of these these cases, and I think there was the one. Depends on the news station you're listening to, Steve. Okay, but there was one. Uh, I mean, people that allegedly haven't had any real contact with any 
any person that's traveled from Asia or any of the other countries or had any any kind of a contact and I've, I've seen that in other countries as well where they allegedly haven't had any exposure to the typical carriers I guess so how how is this thing spread so it started it's known to be started sometimes late November early December in China mm-hmm. and you know China's uh, very, uh, the entire world is mobile at this point, and so essentially the spread could be multiple ways, mostly just spreading through airline carriers and local transport and whatnot. So the, even though it's isolated, it started in China, now obviously we're seeing it here in uh, early January, we started seeing the first cases in the U.S., and it's going to multiply very rapidly only because one person who has these symptoms can spread it to two to three people. So that multiplier is quite a bit. So is it is it just considerably more dangerous? It's more aggressive I guess is the right word and um, it leads to respiratory illness so it's sort of uh, it attacks the lungs and to a point where we call it ARDS and essentially these people land up in the ICU on the ventilator and those are the ones that do really poorly. Is this like pneumonia? I guess you can say pneumonia, but it's really a diffuse um, lung involvement, and that it's called adult respiratory distress syndrome (AD ARDS), and it's not a focal illness like a pneumonia, but it's the entire lung gets wiped out. Oh wow! So, so from an HR perspective, right? So here, you know, this is an HR podcast. What would your recommendation be? Obviously, this is a huge topic we could talk about for days, but what would your recommendation be, both both you and Will, from a policy perspective? How do we handle this? Everyone's having this conversation within their senior leadership ranks. And employees are scared. How do we handle this? I think from, a, from an HR standpoint, you need to start looking at different types of policies and procedures regarding uh, time away from work and paid time off and maybe put together a policy just for this. Let's not change what you already have in place, but let's put together something that um, addresses the coronavirus and dealing with people. We don't want people that potentially have the the virus to be at work and exposing other people. So really one of the things I think Will is alluding to is perhaps companies considering not having, not maintaining a point system or allowing for, you know, so folks will be, I guess, more encouraged to stay at home if they're ill as opposed to to coming to work because they don't want to get points or whatever their their, uh, absentee policy is. Exactly. I mean, we want to encourage people to stay home and maybe even telecommute um, Mm. during this time and maybe some... If feasible. feasible. Exactly. I mean, that's not really practical for a lot of employees and, you know, employees don't employees who are going to be paid, quite frankly, for showing up to work and don't have PTO or don't get paid that way, you know, they don't, you know, it's the difference between showing up and potentially infecting people with, if you're telling, from what I understand, a dangerous virus or, or eating or feeding their kids, right? So, I don't know how to manage around that, but I think employers are going to have to really start thinking about what that looks like and fronting PTO and, you know, allowing employees to borrow against different accrual. I don't know. I, I don't know the solution. Well, I mean, this is just something totally 
you know, out of the ordinary for a company to deal with right now. And, you know, when you have times like this, you've got to make up things and you got to do things that maybe you wouldn't normally do. Yeah, no, that's um, right. You know, the last thing a, a large manufacturer needs is, you know, two, three people end up with it. And now, you know, a hundred person uh, manufacturing facility is down because so many people have gone out. So maybe it right. makes sense to pay people to stay at home for a short period of yeah, time. And, and, you know, the, the interesting thing from a business perspective is while we may we actually may need to increase production because of production deficiencies coming from other countries and yet that in itself could be you know a facility for for um spreading this virus Uh, exactly i mean so many you know so many countries um rely on products from all over the world and if you've got uh if you're supplying uh, to China and you can't deliver your product or vice versa. You've got product coming out of China or uh, South Korea or now even Italy that you may not be able to get your product or it may be a component product for uh, something that you're working on. Yeah, or you may have to shut your operations down because, you know, I mean, it, it, both ways it's working. And, 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 and that brings in a whole nother uh, aspect of this virus and how it will affect uh, companies from a business interruption or a business continuity plan. Um, do you have one in place? Um, do you have... Uh, and if you don't, you need to get one pretty quick, right? Because yes. this is coming. It is coming. And we need to be prepared, whether you're prepared for uh, this or a hurricane or a tornado or whatever. If you don't have a business continuity plan, you really need to work on one. So let's let's talk about travel because that's an area where, you know, what do you, what do you do as it relates to domestic travel? International travel, in my opinion, is kind of a no-brainer, right? You halt international travel at this point because of the areas that are super affected. You follow the CDC guidelines for, you know, you're not sending your employees to Italy. You're not sending your employees to China. The airlines have actually taken control of a lot of that right now. What would your recommendation be, Dr. Patel and Will, regarding even domestic travel at this point? You know, I just got back from California. There were people all over the place with masks on. They were selling them. At, at the booths at LAX, and what, what would your recommendation be? I think for protection purposes, um, you know, first of all, the risk is low in domestic tra- air travel. However, if you still somewhat feel like, hey, I want some extra protection, using a mask is really the solution. Okay. I, did, I was under the impression that masks weren't working. So you think masks are reasonable? Absolutely. I mean, the thing is, it's one more barrier that's going to protect uh, you from exposing uh, one inch. You know, the, I think a lot of people, you know, somebody told me years ago, never to touch your eyes with your, your hands and, you know, kind of keep your hands off your face unless you just, just clean them, wash them. And I think that's important, particularly in the flu season, the cold season, that sort of thing, because... You can, you can touch something that has germs on it, and then you go and rub your eyes or, you know, touch your mouth or something, and then you've infected yourself. So should we be cautious about that as well? Yeah, I think the key thing is washing your hands frequently using the, uh, you know, the sanitizers that's available um, because anywhere, anything you touch, literally outside of your home, and even in your home, you're, you don't know where that surface has been. Tell me about one of the things that I think, you know, really could impact companies is obviously if employees start to fall, right? Employees start to get sick and they, but more importantly, if there's closures of 
schools for periods of time. Are we seeing, I've read that there haven't been as many pediatric impacts. Is that what you're understanding as well? Yes, the virus is the, first of all, anyone can get the virus, but the ones that actually become sick with the viruses are usually the older population or immunocompromised diabetics with other comorbidities. So usually the ones you see that uh, the death from the virus is the 60, 70 year old individuals. What, what, and that would bring me to, what, what would help with your immune system? Is there something that people could be taking now? I mean, I know you're about vitamin C and are there other products out there or things that folks should be doing to boost their immune system at this time? I think just like your normal flu, right? Um, hydration, vitamin C, just the basic stuff that you would want to do. There's nothing specific that will boost your immunity just for this. How? Well, what's your predictions on this? I mean, I know it's early in the United States, but what do you what what is the health community saying that we're we're facing now? Again, prediction is again a prediction. So I think the key thing is it's not going to go away anytime quick. The you know the number of people that are involved uh, who's been exposed, who's been positive tested, the ones who have been exposed and not been tested, that's another population that will emerge. So the numbers are going to go up before they go down. Yeah. And the fear is really the isolated countries that have pocketed uh, areas, which is like the epidemic in that region. The fear is when you start getting these spots all over the world in certain congregation, it becomes a pandemic, which is literally can wipe out a lot of region. I mean, cripple them, not necessarily in death, but cripple them just economics. People at home can get better, quarantine, so forth. I, th I think there's some some companies, some large companies here in the U.S. that are are concerned. They've been can there's been uh, conferences canceled. Uh, shoot, I heard this morning Amazon has cut all essential travel mm -hmm. for all their employees um, in meetings. Um, some other companies are cut, you know, large meetings um, over so many people. Yeah, is that smart? Is that what we should be doing as employers? I, I think, if, as you said earlier, if we can do something remotely, telemedicine, you know, Zoom calls, all these remote meetings, if it's feasible, this is the right time to do it. I mean, uh, and there's a lot of options where you can sort of contain those meetings. Yeah, no, I think that certainly if employers can, can do that, I think that everyone's kind of been hesitant to be the early adopters of these types of restrictions. So I'm interested, and I'm sure our listeners are interested in, should I, should I be one of those adopters? Should I stop travel? Should I stop meeting? Should I be canceling conferences? Should I keep people kind of grounded for a minute? I guess it's always better to be proactive than later on find out that we could have done something that prevented a group of uh, individuals being infected, yeah. especially yeah. if there's not much of a trouble to do remote meetings and limit the travels. And I think some people, you know, and it, you know when you talk about what's essential travel is really interesting because you ask Kelly what essential travel is and you ask me what essential and you ask 15 people and it can be 15 different answers but certainly I mean I would err on the on the side of caution and I don't know what you would say but I would say you're so think. funny because had this been circa 2012 and I had gone to Steve and said there was this coronavirus out there and we needed to stop travel he would have told me to be quiet and go back to my office so <laughs> or, now, what, or, or now, what bar to go to to pick it up yeah he would <laughs> yes so it, but, that, but it's you, Kelly. I mean, what do you... What do you <laughs> well, I mean, I think that that's actually probably a true... What's, what's funny and true about that statement is 
there are, you know, from H, from an HR perspective, are we being the drama queens mm-hmm. that come in and start to make a lot of noise about something that could be a cold, right? Because you hear things like, it's a cold. But I think that's not the reality, and I think people need to be prepared for something more serious than a cold with no vaccination. And I think that one of the things that we, and correct me if I'm wrong because I'm like CNNing the data right now, but is this the reason that this is kind of a big deal is because no one has immunity to it, right? So it's not like the flu where they're even without a flu shot, you have a degree of built up immunity. This is this is new. So everyone's right. going to be impacted. Yeah, and the, and the one, the thing that I can think of, which did occur, I guess, about 10 or 12 years ago, was the actual the bird flu. Oh, I remember was, you was trying same. to restrict yeah. travel. Yeah, well, so we were, I mean, that's the same, that was the same, as I recall, kind of the same sort of situation. And we didn't know what it was going to do. And, and fortunately, it kind of you know kind of petered out it yeah, wasn't it that wasn't big a trans- deal for us it wasn't transmitted the same way right it was transmitted through eating chicken right or bird it was or, respiratory yeah. it yep. was respiratory as well was it a re- yeah. okay yeah okay. so the, like you said i think it's better to be overreactive than under because then what happens is i'd rather have a false negative than to have something that says oh my gosh we could have done something yeah. simple and we could have prevented this it's really hard from a business perspective tell me from a business perspective what you feel like we should be doing or what some of the best practices I, that I, you're I, hearing I, you I, meaning will I, I mean i think you know putting on my risk management hat i mean one of the first things that you want to do is don't risk a lot for a little i mean do you really need to do something do you really need to travel and put yourself in harm's way um, from a human element standpoint from a manufacturing uh, supply chain, be ready. Put your client, put your customers on notice that you may not be able to supply them, um, and do that first. Look at your contracts with these customers to see what obligations you have to those customers. Um, that's a big one because if you don't put them on notice, you may incur penalties. Okay. Yeah, and there's and from an HR perspective, just quickly. I know we're about out of time. We keep getting the the signals, the fingers from the people, but. Um, we, you know, this is a good time. We mentioned a little bit about it, but this is a good time for employees to be encouraged to use telemedicine instead of going into the, the medical offices if they think they've got a problem, at least initially, I think. Um, prepare for it like it's a disaster. You mentioned that. Uh, PTO or time off or whatever your attendance policy, you may really want to look at modifying that at least temporarily to try to, try to um, encourage people not to take unnecessary risk. And, of course, family medical leave would apply to these sicknesses um what is there is there yeah i think so i think i think it would if you're sick for a while would it constitute a serious medical condition Uh, i don't know attorney nail what do you say different podcast different day never mind i I think it might i think it might um, i guess it depends how sick you get right because if it's just a cold would it i don't know Mm -hmm. i don't know what what about um what about people who have traveled recently? So not not California, but someone who came back from Italy or someone who came back from China or someone who came back from a country that has high high population of people with coronavirus. What do we do with them? They're not sick. They're not presenting. What do we do? That's a good question. Basically, these are the individuals if they traveled at a high in an area where it was highly infected, then they could potentially be 
a carrier for the next five to six weeks and not develop symptoms, and they can be actually passing it on to other individuals. So these are the folks that we were saying earlier that should, they should wear a mask because they don't want to transmit anything out of their... Wow. And so how many people are going to volunteer and say, I'm going to put on a mask, I'm going to self-quarantine myself, and that is where the fear is because th- these are asymptomatic people that feel really good. Wow. Hey, we can we can you know we could probably have a real business proposition. We can make some masks that look like uh, Tom Cruise or something. I'd be happy wearing that mask. You know, uh, oh the, my word! The, no, uh, he always takes it to these places. <laughs> the, look, uh, the doctor is not amused by you. Okay, he's not. Sorry, sorry, <laughs> Doctor Patel. Hey, I, we, one thing that talking about that though is if the businesses, and this is another point for HR that maybe they're not thinking about, and that is if we do have a supply chain interruption. That could cause layoffs to result. Yes. And this could be a really good time for companies to, to treat their employees differently than they did in the past and as far as layoffs. And maybe, you know, it's a time to actually, um, I guess, uh, build loyalty and not discourage it. So Just maybe because, of, because of all of the employees you'll end up recalling when you need... Yeah, instead of maybe you want to do something different instead of just laying them off without pay, maybe you, maybe you think of other ways to do this or pay them while they're off. If you do have, if we if it does get bad enough that we're having severe, you know, well, supply I, chain uh, disruption. Well, it's so hard to hire people these days. We have clients that, you know, will continue to pay during a shutdown, whether it's a fire or whatever. They continue to pay them or pay essential people so that when they come back they have a, a full crew versus having to go through the rehire process. Would this be covered under any sort of risk? Like, you know, if there's a fire and you can't work, you obviously have that type of protection. Would something like this be covered? We're, you they know, keep yelling at us, Steve. They keep telling us to be quiet. They're giving you the finger. <laughs> you know, you know there, there are so many different aspects to how uh, an insurance product would work and how it would respond to this type of event. Some... You know, in most policies, you have to have a trigger. You know, you have to have a physical loss to a location to trigger business interruption. Um, some policies don't have that, and they've been worded in such a way that uh, just a governmental authority um, restricting access and so forth could trigger the policy. So you really need to look at your policy, uh, specifically business interruption, and how it would respond. Okay. Well, this is the beginning of probably something we're going to be talking about for a long time. Dr. Patel, Will, thank you so much for being part of our podcast. Yes. Um, hey, thanks, Steve. Yeah, and I, thank you, Kelly. And I do want to thank our sponsors. We've got Hainsworth Sinclair Boyd. If you need an attorney's, those are the folks to see. And also for Gallagher, we appreciate you sponsoring our show as well. Thank you very much. Thank you. Hey, thank you. Thank Bye you. now.